Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Seven Deadly Sinners early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. In all the previous cases that I've been involved with, where the situation is like this here, it's 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 always been a recovery. It's never been a please God, please a happy ending. Bring her home. We will start to question whether a memory is real or false only when that element of memory or that. Why did his father leave him in a ditch in the middle of nowhere, then lie about it and disappear? From eye scrapings and evasive nose probings to incisions in the skin, John of God has performed countless unlicensed surgical procedures, seemingly with no anesthesia. Welcome back to another episode of Seven Deadly Sinners. On this episode, I'm just going to get into it. Because this is a series on what I view to be one of the scariest humans I have personally ever researched, encountered, not in person, but maybe in person. Israel Keys. The things I've done, and I, I didn't do them because I don't feel bad about them, and I didn't do them because I felt I had no other choice. I did them for myself, so it's just as good. It's better actually for me to keep them to myself because they're from they're mine. And, um, and so unless I'm going to get something in return, aside from just an ego boost by talking about them, then I'm not going to talk about them. I don't have any interest in it. So a lot of, so yeah, and so between that and like my name, most of the people when I would put comments on there would assume I was a Muslim. Mm. I think it's fair to say that's probably how, or at least that played a major part in how I ended up thinking and ended up being the person I am at Village and had a lot to do with it, mm-hmm. the way I was raised. 
This will be a minimum of two parts, but possibly three. But I promise you, you will not get bored of the content. Because if you're anything like me, you'll only become more and more obsessed and wonder and try to put the pieces together like, could a missing person from my hometown be a victim of keys? Was he in the area at that time? And in my case, he was. And I also am certain I know this guy's fucking face. I acknowledge that memories are weird, though. And usually we want to ascribe importance or meaning to a significant event that it somehow had a connection to you that you could help out in some way, especially in the case of true crime, you know? And like me, I want to help bring a missing person home to their family. But I'm telling you, false memory or not, my gut tells me I have seen this man before. In Clatsop County, where I grew up, and where is Keys, one of the most prolific serial killers of the 21st century, was stationed in Astoria, Oregon. Most likely in my early high school years, he would have been in the army between 1999 and 2001, and it would be during the time where I attended bonfires in the woods, snuck out my bedroom window to really do nothing other than walk around at night with my best friend Sabrina. Hey, we wanted to feel free like renegades. High school in a small town, your options are minimal, so they include just walking around looking at trees for excitement. At least in the Pacific Northwest, that is. But when I go back and scan the faces of those bonfires in my mind, I can see his face, or maybe he just looks like every other boy in rural Oregon and Washington. But I'm not done trying to figure out if anyone else remembers him. My mom and best friend Sabrina were both taken aback when I showed them a photo of him and they both said, I know that person. I've seen him. Yet both had never heard of him and Israel Keys could easily be called the most terrifying serial killer you've probably never heard of. Or at the very least, just know the tip of a bone-chilling iceberg. And that iceberg would include every seven deadly sin over and over again. But I think the sin that stands out the most to me is his gluttonous urge to take, take whatever he felt he wanted. He took loved ones from their families. He took his own sadistic pleasure. He took people's bodies and sense of safety. He took his own daughter's childhood when he was caught by forcing her to live under the enormous weight of what her father did. He took the trust and love of his two live-in girlfriends. He took their kindness and generosity, and he used it to actually murder innocent people. Yes, oftentimes when Israel Keys was out killing people, it was unknowingly being paid for by his girlfriend Kimberly's travel miles from work. And he took every memory his loved ones ever had with him and made them question their whole lives, most notably during the killing of poor Samantha Koenig. In a shed, on the property, he lived with his girlfriend Kimberly and his daughter, who were sleeping just feet away in the house. Before, 
getting on a flight for a family cruise just mere hours after he tortured, raped, killed, and necrophiled the teenage girl. I know I came in really aggressive there, and I'm going to do my best not to describe the true horror of what he did to his victims, because truthfully, in my research, I had to skip past certain sections where I couldn't hear what he did at random to beautiful people who woke up one day and never expected to meet Israel Keys. So who was Israel Keys? Yes, spoiler alert. But there's no point in me pretending that this piece of shit coward was anything but that. The coward who killed himself before ever facing trial, and who left so many unanswered questions and unnamed victims and their families to wonder what happened to them. But fortunately, the FBI, true crime journalists, especially Josh Hallmark of True Crime Bullshit, an amazing podcast by Israel Keys, web sleuths, and general concerned citizens are slowly peeling away the layers of Israel's 14-year, but most likely longer, reign of terror. And I truly believe the suspected 11-plus people the FBI thinks he killed is much, much higher. But the community that loves true crime and helping people is working their best to help families bring their loved one home. So who is Israel Keys? How did this monster come to be? Was it nature? Was it nurture? I believe it to be a combustible combination of both. I mean, we all love black and white reasoning, but that's usually not the case with anything in life. And it's certainly not the case with Israel Keys. And you might be asking yourself how Keys fits into the theme of Seven Deadly Sinners. Well, get ready, because almost more than any other case we've covered, Keys and his siblings were raised with a musical chairs of various extreme and reclusive religions. Keys's mother, Heidi, changed fringe religions like some people might change their favorite TV show or favorite song. Heidi Keys was FLDS, Christian Identity, Amish, and is now currently part of the Church of Wells, which many call a cult. Israel also remembered his childhood being like quote-unquote cult shopping. As a result, I have become increasingly interested in covering the Church of Wells during all this research, because Heidi Keys and some of his sisters are still members of it, and when I Google the Church of Wells, it's troubling. So I think it's very possible that I may do, I don't know if it'll be a Patreon episode, or maybe it will be the uh, button at the end of this horrific series. But the Church of Wells is fascinating me at this point. So anyway, coming from an extreme religious background does not a serial killer make, obviously. However, certain parts of Israel's upbringing, including the isolation, the connection to infamous white supremacists, the Kehoe brothers, and perhaps a struggle with his own sexuality may have contributed to the man he became though he would vehemently deny this. Childhood trauma didn't exist to him. He chose, desired to be who he was. And everyone else around him? Well, they never, not for one second, 
knew the real Israel keys. Now, there is no one who knows me or who has ever known me who knows anything about me, really. They know they're going to tell you something that does not line up with anything I tell you because I'm two different people, basically. And the only person who knows about what I'm telling you, the kind of things I'm telling you, is me. How long have you been two different people? <laughs> long time. 14 years. Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com promo code WONDERY. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Wondery, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Wondery to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Wondery. Israel Keys was born in the tiny town of Cove, Utah, on January 7, 1978, to parents Heidi and John Jeffrey Keyes. His parents met in their native Los Angeles, and they were kind of outsiders and misfits. They were both FLDS Mormons living in a pretty non-Mormon area. So they decided to move to a fundamentalist Mormon enclave, Utah where their ideas were more readily accepted. But even in a more accepting environment, or really off-the-grid environment, Heidi and Jeff raised their kids in an incubator of shame and suspicion. Suspicion of government institutions, medical care, worldly people, and even their own thoughts. Israel wrote in his own journal as a kid that he felt shame for having impure or sinful thoughts. And his adult sister, when she joined the Church of Wells, wrote a testimony that is posted on their website about all the sinful, horrible, damning things she did until she found this church. It just goes to show you that these kids felt so much shame. Shame that may have started from the first religion they were born into, the FLDS religion 
made most famous by Warren Jeffs, who we covered in episode one of this podcast, who maybe laid the groundwork for the conspiracy of racism and secretive living that would both influence and repel Israel Keyes. Because Keyes, maybe in a show of rebellion towards his parents and religion, would later date and have a child with a half-Native American, half-Black woman, and while in the military, also dated a Black woman. When Israel was four, they moved Pacific Northwest and joined a different church out of Colville, Washington, close to the Canadian border, in the rainy and green Pacific Northwest, and they became even more isolated. They didn't believe in doctors at this time. Heidi had all home births and none of the 10 children, nor themselves, had ever been immunized. None of their children, including Israel, would ever have a birth certificate or social security number, which maybe proved to be very convenient for Israel to become a serial killer at certain points. They did not want the government in any way helping to raise their kids or track them. Yet at times, neighbors grew concerned in the various places they lived and had called authorities about the strange little family living in tents in the woods without heat, plumbing, or electricity. The parents sometimes saw their kids as little workhorses, assets to rely on for free labor. They helped with the Pioneer Times chores, and Israel even helped or solely built cabins that were intended as spec homes of sorts, homes built to sell for profit while the family slept in tents. It's so oddly cruel. Like, why couldn't they live in the large, comfortable cabin they were watching being built? They didn't attend public school, and they had very few friends. But two friends of note that Israel ran with, the Kehoe brothers, whom he met when they moved to Colville, Washington, to join the Ark, a white supremacist church that's an offshoot of the Christian identity. Remember the Christian identity? Well, if you don't, go listen to the horrific series I did a few seasons back on Michael Wayne Ryan, an absolute racist monster who got his ideas from the Christian, only by name, by the way, Identity Church. Israel and his siblings were forced to memorize scripture when they just started reading. That was the only thing they read. And they were living in such poverty that to this day, Israel had permanently deformed feet from having to force his feet into ill-fitting hand-me-downs. But don't feel bad for him, guys, because he is a monster. The kids never experienced pop culture, fast food, movies, so much so that when Israel finally joined the army, his army buddies were shocked that he'd never heard of Nirvana or Brad Pitt. Israel brushed this off saying it was because he was Amish which his family also eventually became. Yet on the upside, Israel's siblings adored him, and he became somewhat of the man of the house when his father was away, working or legit praying in the woods for hours and hours a day. Heidi, his mom, even though super religious herself and currently a member of a cult that I'm more and more convinced I am going to cover, thought her husband's religious devotion was a bit too extreme. So, well, 
He was away. Israel stepped up. He cooked. He cleaned. He braided his sister's hair, which is also extremely creepy, thinking of that during the murder he was finally arrested for. I digress. So even though Heidi thought her husband's hours-long prayer sessions in the woods were a bit much, she almost derived self-esteem from her extreme beliefs. Heidi Keyes got a sense of superiority, a delusion of grandeur, pride, from the thought that she could raise all these kids off the grid and didn't need the government. She didn't need technology, didn't need anything that they couldn't hunt and gather themselves. Who knows if she really believed this was the right way to raise her kids, but it seems she had at least convinced herself it was, and she convinced herself that her kids were happy with this way of life, even though all of them, at one time or another, longed for a different life. I mean, no kid wants to be completely alone in the woods with just his family, and I would imagine that that would also breed some very unhealthy boundaries going on within the family unit. When they moved to Colville and joined the Ark, Israel made two very notable friends who I mentioned, Chevy and Shane Kehoe, sons of a white supremacist family that would go on to commit unspeakable crimes. One of which might have even been Timothy McVeigh's accomplice in the Oklahoma City bombings. Israel had very good role models The Kehoe family taught Israel about guns, how to obtain them by stealing, how to shoot them, how to hide them, and about the race war they were planning for. It would be in his early teens when Israel would be documented living in Washington and having stolen his first cache of guns and burying them beneath his parents' home, a one-room cabin for 13 people. But even before his early teens, Israel had began abusing animals and did so in front of neighbors and friends. Not necessarily the Kehoes, but possibly. And from my research, it seems that it was one of the Kehoes who was there, who watched him abuse an animal, and the Kehoe ended up throwing up and crying and running away. So if those guys are afraid of you, that's a bad sign. Are you looking for farm fresh seasonal produce and easy to make recipes delivered right to your door every week? I mean, I know I am. In the middle of nowhere Colorado, there is, yes, there's produce, but there isn't the type of seafood and meat and whatever that I would like. And I have been relying on HelloFresh to give me healthy, quick and easy recipes delivered right to my door that are absolutely delicious. And while I'm trying to, like, pare down the uh, meals I've been eating in terms of, like, I'm trying to be a little healthier right before my wedding, HelloFresh has fit and wholesome recipes that are satisfying and nutritious. I'm telling you, even Greg likes them. And you can feel good about six recipes per week to choose from, including low-calorie, carb-conscious options. Because even though Greg's a skinny legend, he wants to be in shape for the wedding and he likes having an easy meal to cook himself. Trust me, HelloFresh is the most delicious. Even if you want to indulge or you're trying to scale back, HelloFresh is your go-to option. And it lets you spend more time with your family or do more work. Like you don't have to go to the grocery store. It is so easy and it is my go-to 
lifesaver. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Sinners16 and use code Sinners16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Sinners16 and use code Sinners16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Israel also began building pipe bombs around the age of 14 and more regularly stealing guns from the neighbors, possibly with the Kehos as accomplices. Later in life, too, Israel wouldn't be the only murderer of this white supremacist group of kids, as Chevy and Shane Kehoe would go on to murder an entire family while posing as federal agents and then would have a shootout with the cops. Their target was William Mueller, a firearms licensee. But they didn't just rob him and kill him. They brutally killed his family in 1996 and then dumped their bodies at the bottom of a lake in the Ozarks. The New York Times reported in 1998 that the Kehoe brothers were devoted to the Aryan People's Republic and between 1995 and 1997 engaged in many criminal activities, including possibly even being involved in the Oklahoma City bombing orchestrated by Timothy McVeigh, who Israel also mentioned a few times in his FBI interviews. Both Israel and the Kehoes and McVeigh hated the federal government. I assume many podcast listeners are a tad too young to remember the Kehoes, so here's a refresher. It was just after 1.30 when the officer pulled over the blue Chevy Suburban with Washington State plates for a traffic violation. Neither man in the vehicle could produce ID, so the officer asked the driver to step out of the car. The man told the officer he borrowed the truck from a friend. He then refused to a pat-down search. Listen as the officer attempts to search the man for weapons. Any guns, knives, clubs, stuff like that on here, sir? I don't want you going and searching through all my stuff. I'm not searching through your stuff, sir. I'm going to put you in my car. That's just fine. Now, do you have any guns, knives, clubs, or stuff like that on you? Very good. Listen, sir, I don't want no problems. I'm not going to give you any problems, sir. Apparently, he did want problems. A few more minutes went by. Then the man ran back to his car in an attempt to get away. The passenger then opened fire on the police. As the passenger ran into the woods, the driver sped away. Amazingly, no one was injured in this exchange. A few minutes later, the driver pulled into a parking lot, and when a Wilmington officer approached him, the gunfight continued. More than 30 rounds were fired here, one bullet striking a passerby in the shoulder. The nationwide search for the two men continued. Hopefully what will happen is uh, from these films and from these these cameras uh, that somebody out there may be able to help us identify them. Police believe the two are from Spokane, Washington, with ties to a white supremacist group. What they were doing in Clinton County, Ohio, may have something to do with an Aryan nation's march at the State House on Sunday. I suppose it's a possibility that... Uh, 
that uh, there is some connection. Alan Katchen, director of the Anti-Defamation League of Ohio, says there is an active branch of the extremist group Aryan Nation in Clinton County. We've been aware for some time of a, of a group in New Vienna, Ohio, uh, of Aryan Nations, uh, activists and supporters of the Aryan Nations who meet uh, regularly and uh, are obviously trying to recruit and to build up uh, their organization. Back to Israel. So during his teen years, Israel started sitting in the woods and watching people and then eventually stalking them. He said he loved that he could see them, but they couldn't see him, which just chills me to my bones. While living in Washington still, Israel got his first girlfriend, a neighbor, and her parents couldn't be more thrilled. They thought he was such a fine boy, especially the girl's father. He loved Israel and would even hire him for construction projects around their property. Her family had the same religious views and would often hold potlucks for the flock. While dating his neighbor, Israel also started committing arson and burglarizing more homes, eventually escalating to his first bank robbery in 1996. Shortly after that, though, the entire Keyes family picked up and moved to Oregon. Israel kept in touch with his girlfriend, and even though his parents forbade him to date her, he would send her letters talking about how they could get married later in life. Israel even recorded thoughts of shame in his journal, though, likely based on his religious upbringing, saying that he had impure or sinful thoughts about his girlfriend. Which is strange that he was feeling shame over sinful thoughts based on what happens next. So in 1996, the Keyes family moves to Maupin, Oregon. While the rest of the family mostly lived and worked 30 miles north on a farm in Defer, Israel stayed back in Maupin to build a log cabin for the family. And this is when Israel takes an extremely dark turn. His first on-record attack on another person. All while exchanging letters back and forth with his girlfriend back in Washington, again talking about getting married someday. Israel, left to his own devices at 18, converted to Satanism. No, that had nothing to do with the crime. It was probably his teenage F you to his parents. Though we will see that he did stick pretty hard to the Satanist vibe later too. But of most importance, this is when Israel raped a young girl in a park bathroom next to the Deschutes River in Maupin, Oregon. A rape he had planned to escalate to murder, but lost his nerve. Here's the encounter in Israel's own words. And trigger warning to the max. As Israel talks about regretting this as if he regrets not taking the game-winning shot. It's really bone-chilling. In the last year, a little over a year now, I did a lot of stuff, and uh, I think I already mentioned I was kind of losing control for 14 years, just the number of years that you, that there was these other things. I mean, maybe if, if you, you know, we could just sit here and chat about some of that for a while, what happened 14 years ago, you don't even have to be specific. Yeah, what's significant about it? Is there something significant to you 14 years, or is that... It's about the time you went to military, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, they, yeah, that's significant, but, I mean, again, I can't, you know, it started out with smaller stuff. It wasn't like it went out and started 
taking people right away. And, yeah. Did the military change it? I didn't. I didn't do anything really drastic until I was out of the military. But, um, but I mean, no, I was. There was some stuff that happened, you know, even before I went in the military. That when I was living in Oregon, I was working on this house for for my dad, and uh, there was this river that was near the house. There was a uh, a lot of people would go down there, a pretty remote area, but there were beaches and stuff along the river where people would go and hang out for the day and stuff. And, and that's, I don't know, so it gave me the idea, I guess, there, you know, there would be people hanging on the beaches, you know, like younger girls in their swimsuits and stuff. And I think I was only maybe 18 at the time. So did you get away with something there? Yeah. Never even got reported. I mean, I didn't... Like I said, I, I didn't have the nerve to, you know, take it to the next level, but... But, um, in my mind, that's what I was going to do. Is that a pretty remote area that you were in? Yeah. It's called the Deschutes River. It goes into the Columbia. It's like just a little town out in the middle of nowhere, but in the summertime, there were a lot of people who would go up there from Portland and stuff. And yeah, what, I've been to that area. What's the name of the town there? Well, the town that the house I was working on was in was Maupin. That's just downriver from uh, Bend. I think, yeah, Bend, Oregon. And, and what did you do then? You said you, just, you, you, know, you thought about taking it to the next level, but you obviously did some level. Something you got away with. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there were these... Um, like uh, remote restrooms in these um, just random little beach areas along the river. And um, I took somebody to one of those, but I didn't, you know, I didn't kill her. What'd you do? So was that the first time you sexually assaulted somebody? Depends what your definition is. <laughs> that the first time you had sex with somebody against their will? No, but I mean, that was the first time I took it to that level and, like, had someone tied up, you know, like, was ready to actually kill, do that, yeah. What did that feel like? I mean, I had it all planned out. It was, you know, that was my intention. It was to rape her and kill her. Yeah, it was a small bathroom. Didn't get used very much. They probably only clean it out maybe once a year or something. So, permanent type bathroom or rent a can type bathroom? Like a permanent, like the ones you see at Forest Service campground with the big concrete tank under them. So you say they only clean it once a year. What was that? When you knew that going into it? Yeah, I knew about them. I knew how they worked. And what, what were your thoughts? Well, I was. That's why I picked. I was gonna after I killed whoever I was going to, I was waiting for someone who was pretty small because I was going to dump them down in the tank. And it was a really dark tank, it's probably, I mean, they probably wouldn't have been found for a year or something. Had you thought about how you were going to do it if you did it? Yeah, I was, uh, I was going to strangle her. 
Do you remember anything that she said to you that was like in your mind? She just, um, I mean, I knew what she was doing. She was trying to make it seem like it wasn't a big deal and like she was okay with it. And uh, I mean, she was pretty smart. She was, I mean, because it worked, I didn't kind of put me more at ease and uh, things never got really violent like they could have if she'd been fighting me or something. Did you know that then? Or do you know that now in hindsight based on... No, I knew what she was doing at the time. I knew, you know, she was talking to me and telling me, you know, saying, oh, you're a good-looking guy. Why are you, you know, you don't have to do this. I probably would have even gone out with you and all this stuff. And, like, I just kept telling her to shut up, and she wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't. She just kept talking to me. She was able to personalize it or something to where you... Yeah, I don't know, I just, uh, I think the main thing is I just lost my nerve right at the end. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. later, Heidi Keys yet again makes another religious left turn and picks up and moves the family to the East Coast to make honey and live with the Amish. Israel had had enough of religion at that point, though, and he was now an admitted Satanist. Israel then joined the army, which the Amish are very much against, another effu to his parents, perhaps. While in the army, he continued his relationship with his first girlfriend, though he would become a little elusive at times, not answering her calls for days, and then he would call her over and over again afterwards. But once they linked up again in person, he proposed to her. In late 2000, and that was when they had their first kiss ever, as she was waiting until marriage to have sex, and he told her in an absolute bold-faced lie that he felt the same, and he was also waiting for marriage. However, he visited sex workers while in the army and was also communicating with other women. His murder spree likely began around this time, but we're going to go more in-depth on that, likely in part three, after we go in-depth on the murder he was finally captured for, the murder of Samantha Koenig. But back to the timeline. So Israel got engaged to his first girlfriend, and while engaged he meets a woman named Tammy, who is 10 years his senior on a dating website. Tammy is a beautiful, voluptuous, half-black, half-Native American woman living on the Macaw Reservation in Washington, and they immediately hit it off. Their relationship was initially built on lust, as Tammy said he was the best lover of her life. 
Both Tammy and Israel grew up in poverty of sorts, and so they got along and understood each other, talking about what it was like to feel less than around other kids. Tammy also struggled with addiction, even entering or attending treatment meetings around the age of 17. And Israel, after being introduced to alcohol and cocaine in the army, Israel loved to drink now. And so a lot of their relationship was based on drinking. But from all of the research I've done, Tammy seems like a hell of a person. Just awesome. She seems incredibly strong. And by the end of this series, you'll find out that she pulled herself together for her daughter. Her daughter, who, eight weeks into her relationship with Israel, she was pregnant with. Israel was still engaged to his first girlfriend when he learned that he had gotten Tammy pregnant. Honestly, there is an episode of True Crime Bullshit by Josh Hallmark, which I will mention a lot in this show, and also the book American Predator by Maureen Callahan as well. Anyway, there is an episode of True Crime Bullshit by Josh Hallmark. It's a fairly recent one, I think, where he updates listeners on what happened to Tammy and her poor sweet boy that she had before she met Israel and Israel's daughter after all of this came out, and it will make you cry. I mean, I sobbed, and I had to shut it off at a certain point because I just, it's harrowing, heartbreaking, but I, again, I think Tammy is a hell of a gal. So please take a listen to that. Anyway, so when Tammy finds out she's pregnant and tells Israel, she's heartbroken when Israel tells her that he's not ready. And then he essentially abandons her and goes back to his first girlfriend or essentially stays with her as the girlfriend now fiance had no idea about the other woman. But again, Israel began disappearing on his fiance more and more now for days, maybe even weeks at a time. She would call the base and get a hold of his sergeant and he would say, no, he's here and he's fine. I'm I'm sorry. I don't know why he's not calling you back. For whatever reason, and maybe it's because Tammy didn't ask any questions. Like if he came home drunk late at night after saying he had to work late, she wouldn't ask any questions. If she saw that he was talking to other women, she didn't want to pick a fight, so wouldn't mention it. Or maybe it was because being with a woman 10 years older than him was more stable, a woman who didn't want to pry into his life. Whatever the reason, Israel changed his mind again. And about the pregnancy, too. And he went back to Tammy. And Tammy didn't ask a single question of what he did during their time apart. Israel ended it with his fiance by telling her that he's not the person that she thinks he is. And that he had slept with someone else and that he doesn't believe in God anymore. Tammy, meanwhile, seemed thrilled to have him back and to be able to have the baby she so badly wanted. Her son from a previous relationship looked at Israel like a father figure, too. Israel was very kind to him. He was going to be a great father, Tammy thought. And when Tammy gave birth to their daughter, she said she could see Israel go through a change. His daughter seemingly changed his world, at least from what Tammy could see. However, weird things did start to crop up as Israel drank. He drank a lot. She said he would consume a bottle of wine, a bottle of whiskey, and a case of beer every single night. 
And sometimes on those nights, he would say weird stuff like, I have a black heart. I'm a bad person. You don't really know me. You don't know what I've done. But she would kind of write those things off as, well, he had a weird religious upbringing and there was a lot of shame involved. So maybe that's it rearing its ugly head now. Then things got more rocky with the couple, though. At around eight months old, their daughter developed a very severe respiratory infection. And shortly thereafter, Tammy developed uterine cancer and had to have a hysterectomy. To cope with the pain, she was prescribed opioids, which she became reliant on to help with the pain and her anxiety. And as we know concerning the opioid epidemic these days, they are highly addictive. Israel was not there for her during this time. He used her being numb to stray, and stray he did. He met a woman by the name of Kimberly on a dating website, who was 10 years older than Tammy even. Kimberly had a fantastic job and a thriving life. Israel still slept with Tammy from time to time, but he ended up choosing Kimberly and leaving Tammy and his daughter in the custody of Tammy and moving to Anchorage, Alaska to be with Kimberly. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It was March 9th, 2007, when Israel set roots in Alaska. And Alaska would be where he committed the horrific murder of Samantha Koenig. Samantha Koenig was born on August 30th, 1993. She was a popular, bright, adorable 18-year-old girl who was trying to make good in life. Sure, she partied like many do in their teens, and she may have dabbled in drugs, but again, lifestyle doesn't define a person Sometimes a lifestyle you lived in your past often makes you a brilliant person for your future. Samantha was so pretty, so capable, and so loved. There's a photo of her in a green bandana with a perfect light brown color of hair that I'm envious of. And she's smiling with perfect white teeth, and she's got style. I mean, a green bandana is a choice, and she wore it iconically. At the time of her disappearance, she had a long-term boyfriend. And she lived with her single father and that boyfriend. And her father saw her as the apple of his eye. What happened to Samantha was graphic and horrific. And I'm going to try my best to skim over the details out of respect for her and her family and not to re-traumatize them. However, I do think that sharing her story and the patterns of Israel Keys could help other families bring their loved one who may have been a victim of Keys back home. When there are hundreds of thousands of people that go missing every year. And that number was probably the same when Israel Keys was still alive. I'm pretty sure he's responsible for a lot more than the victims we know about. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's for part two. Back to Samantha. It was late evening in Alaska in 2012. Samantha Koenig was working at the Common Grounds coffee kiosk a place that was well-known to have young teenage girls work after school shifts. 
Sometimes in the summer, they would even serve coffee in bikinis. Earlier that evening, during her shift, Samantha had called her dad to ask him to bring her dinner, which he declined to do and would probably regret for the rest of his life. That poor man should not have to regret that, but life is just so cruel sometimes. Because perhaps if he had come, Samantha's kidnapper might have chickened out. Still, though, not James Koenig's fault. At around 8 p.m., during a busy time with bustling businesses, there was a nearby gym, a Home Depot, and an IHOP. The teal-painted coffee kiosk was approached by a man wearing a ski mask. It was February in Alaska, so a ski mask was not odd. But in surveillance video, the man seems to order a coffee, which Samantha serves him. But then all of a sudden, she puts her hands up in surrender. She then turns off the lights, and the man leaps through the window. Security footage shows the muzzle of a gun pointed at her after she serves him coffee, and then he leaps through. After he gets in, he gets Samantha on her knees. And then, a few minutes later, she stands and empties the cash register and then goes back to her knees. Then, the large man begins tying her up. After tying her up, he leads her out with his arm around her shoulder. In surveillance footage captured from Home Depot across the street, you see Israel Keys park his truck, sit there for 10 minutes, exit, and then 20 minutes later, you see him emerge with his arm around Samantha. And no one was really paying attention at this point. So Samantha is able to break free, and she starts running with her hands tied in public, but still no one seemed to do anything. And then again, in public, Israel tackles her and then stands her back up. And then it seems he whispers something in her ear. Whatever he said to her when she tried to escape must have scared her so bad that when there were people right next to her, right next to her, when he was about to put her in the car, she doesn't seem to yell anything or ask for help. She's just frozen in fear and it is heartbreaking. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I'm going to leave you with that cliffhanger there for this episode. Otherwise, the episode will be two hours long. Because next week we will cover what happens next and how Israel was eventually captured and how beautiful Samantha was eventually found. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a five-star rating and positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Seven Deadly Sinners was written and created by Rachel O'Brien. Research and writing assistance by Kate Codman. Sound design and music production by Greg Hunter. This week's episode features music by Vinyl Fields. And produced by Rachel O'Brien and Greg Hunter. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Seven Deadly Sinners early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. 
If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.